I got to make sure I don't forget anything here. Make sure certain things are turned off and other things are turned on and flipped around. I think it's ready to go. So praise the Lord we can be here tonight in church, worshiping God, uh, honoring him with our songs and hopefully with this lesson tonight, I pray. Tonight we're back in Colossians. We've had a a couple weeks break here with the Thanksgiving holiday and uh, Brother Stedman coming coming from BWM to to, uh, present that work. Uh, to us and what a blessing that was each of those times for each of those uh, things so we're going to get back in Colossians here and make a little bit of progress we're in Colossians chapter 4 and um, verse let's just go ahead and start with verse 2 and we'll read down through verse 4 Colossians 4 2 continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you for our time here tonight to be able to come here to study into your word Lord to to see what you have for us I pray that you'd help get me out of the way and let your word go forth uh, your spirit do its work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, since we've been out for the last two weeks, I just want to go over kind of a brief summary of what we've looked at so far, which has basically been verse 2, and it's been segmented down pretty far. Uh, today we're going to make more progress. We're going to actually, Lord willing, be able to get through two verses tonight instead of just two words. So let's, let's, we'll keep rolling along here. So uh, summary verse two, Paul's further instructions to the Colossians. We're kind of in this section where we had seen how husbands and wives are supposed to uh, interact with each other, how fathers are to interact with their children, how children are to obey their parents, how employers are supposed to treat their employees, how employees treat their employers. All of these things, and these are further instructions that are coming along here. And Paul starts out that verse 2 with continue in prayer. And the idea here is that you're constantly ready to pray. It's not that you're always praying, such that there's nothing else that goes on in your life, but you're always ready to pray. And and part of that is that your sins are confessed, right? I mean, God's not going to hear you if you've got some unconfessed sins out there that are dangling right in front of your face. Uh, the world talks of skeletons in your closets. Um, your sins are more open than skeletons in the closets of the world. So open to God in that sense. So confess your sins to God and this constantly ready to pray. Make it a habit. Or you're ready. This is something you're known. It's, it's just a habit. One of those good habits that you can form. And in prayer, we'll talk more about this tonight here, but be specific. And that's the topic of tonight's lesson. Um, be specific. I'm not sure if the... Well, I threw it up on the, on the, the webpage or on the, the, the stream there. So the point D is going to be, be specific in your prayer. Not just saying that you're sending or saying prayers for somebody, right? You're sending somebody prayers. That's one of those statements you find on social media. I'm sending you prayers. I'm saying prayers for you, or I'm saying prayers. And this being in a generic sense. Now, God wants us to be specific in our prayers. Specifically, pray for people, pray for situations to be resolved in a particular manner. 
uh, for health and healing, for spiritual growth and development, all of these things, but make it specific. And certainly not this new age good vibes stuff, like somebody is sending you good vibes. What does that mean? Do you even know where that comes from? That's a new age term. You call yourself a Christian and you use that sort of terminology, you need to understand where that comes from. And years ago, we've, we've done a whole uh, study on the New Age movement, and uh, I think as, uh, is it Brother uh, Kenthoven calls it the New Age movement? It rhymes with sewage, um, if I recall correctly. Or the, the magic, like mysticism uh, out there, ascending juju, good juju. What is juju? It's, it's all hocus pocus, make-believe. Um, this is not what God wants. These are not godly characteristics and, and, and things to be doing that Christians should partake in. So as we'll, sh- as we'll see shortly, it's proper to pray to God for someone and be specific about it. The next couple uh, words in the verse here, verse 2, and watch in the same. Be alert to the needs of others and looking for opportunities to pray. So you need to be aware of your surroundings. You need to be aware of those that are around you and their needs and, and, and look for opportunities to pray. And the, the third part of that verse with thanksgiving, that you're always grateful for the grace and mercy that God gives, never taking it for granted and being humble towards God. God is not your um, reservoir of grace that you, you can draw on whenever you've, well, he is in a sense, but not on, on your terms. Right, it's on his terms that you that you call out to him. So part D, be specific in your prayers. Verse 3 says, With all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. So Paul here, we can consider him as a missionary, one commanded to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Maybe might consider him the prototypical missionary one called by God directly to go minister to the Gentiles, to go take the gospel, to go start a church, to raise up pastors and teachers, to keep the work continuing, and then move along, start another church. Establishing a church, training up those who can teach also, and then doing it again. So not unlike the missionaries visiting our church that we've had the privilege of being able to meet over the years here, um, they're pretty much following those in that same that mold of the Apostle Paul. So the goal is to reach the lost with the gospel for all missionaries, right? What's the purpose of going on the mission field? Is it to go dig a well for somebody so they can have clean drinking water? No. That might be something that happens along the way. But the purpose of going there is to tell people about Jesus and give them that opportunity to trust in him for salvation. The, th- the modes and the other actions that go along with it, maybe God can use that in some ways. But the, the, the message, the main effort of missions is the gospel, going out and telling the world about Jesus. It's not about the extras and stuff and the pizza parties and the whatever else other thing that's going to go along. It's the gospel. That's the important main thing. We are to keep the main thing the main thing. Mm-hmm. 
The goal is to reach a lost with the gospel, establish a church, train men to take over the work, and to move on and start another one. So his letter here to the Colossians serves multiple purposes that we could look at. And these are this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but you know, Paul's writing here to encourage them and to tell them that the Colossians have been an encouragement to him. So there's this mutual encouragement that the Colossian believers have between Paul. Paul is encouraged by them, and they are encouraged through this letter by the Apostle Paul. To also confirm the teachings about the Godhead and the sufficiency of Christ. A big part of it is warning about false teachers and doctrine. We've looked at Gnosticism, asceticism, philosophy, mysticism. The roots of some of these things that we talked here of good vibes and juju, it comes from this mysticism, all these sorts of things. It's false gospel, false hope that the world wants to give. Um, there is no hope other for this world other than Jesus Christ. There is none. And then also illustrating Christian living and living for the, war, for the Lord and not for yourself. But where Paul is at this time, he wrote this letter under house arrest in Rome. That's what we need to remember here. What is Paul's situation? He's not a free man at this time. He's not able to come in and, and go out and do as he pleases and freely preach the gospel as he had early desired to do and earlier had done. So question number nine in your books. If we consider Paul's position in his writing from Rome under house arrest, put yourself in Paul's position. What might be the first personal prayer request that you would share with fellow believers? Something you would want them to pray for you about. Anybody? Right, to be released from his prison here, right? He wants to be able to get out there and continue to tell people. But you know, as we read, um, I believe in the book of Acts and elsewhere, that he's able to minister to the house of Caesar through all of this in his captivity. So God had a purpose for him at that point to use him in that particular instance to minister to those people. And while the world might look on this situation as, wow, he's in prison, he's under house arrest, or whatever the terms and conditions there were for him there, that God was still able to use him and and, uh, see his purposes accomplished. So another thing here, too, is, you know, maybe it's the simplistic thing of saying that, yeah, maybe he wants to be released from prison. Is that somewhat selfish? Well, not necessarily. But you want to do what, what is God's will. If God's will is for you to be in that prison, in that circumstances, be, to be incarcerated at that time, then you're in God's will. Work in it. Let him work through you. So one of Paul's other personal prayer requests, I mean, he's, it's not like he wasn't just praying for others. Here he's specifically calling out um, that he's asking for the Colossian believers to pray for us. He and, I believe... Timothy and the others that were with him to pray for him that God would pray for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance for which, uh, to speak the mystery of Christ so this is what he's asking to be done he wants God to give him an opportunity to spread the gospel and share the gospel now it's it, from a personal side of things that was question number nine here Paul would I mean Typically, you would think he would want to ask to be released from prison. Paul's not above asking for things to 
benefit him personally, himself, and the one that we can point to specifically here is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And a little bit of, uh, if you want to turn over there real quick, just a little bit of a side note on this. When I was at Oregon State working on my graduate degree, I had the opportunity to read and read and read and read lots of different papers and dissertations and all the rest. But there was one that I really keyed in on. Uh, this man's work I ended up following for part of my research. And what I found striking in reading through just dozens of dissertations and things, I would always gravitate toward the acknowledgement sections. And, you know, who are these people acknowledging in their dissertations? When you go to grad school, you can't do it alone. There, you, you, you have a lot of support from your family. You have a lot of support from church family here, uh, as I did, uh, and, and of course all the people that are at the university as well. But one of the things that I really was encouraged by was this, this young man, when he wrote his, his dissertation, acknowledged God in his life and Jesus Christ as his Savior. And that was amazing. And one of the passages that he said, you know, when you struggle, I know, I know this from personal experience, if you go to grad school and you don't want to quit at least once, you're not doing it right. And, um, yeah, he, he struggled with this, too. He wrote this in his acknowledgment sections. But this, that passage he used as strength, this, this passage here, strengthened him during his, his uh, time in university and allowed, him, allowed God to comfort him and still his spirit. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, and Paul speaking here, Unless I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations where I was given... There was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, Paul's request here, I besought the Lord thrice, not once, not twice, but three times did Paul seek God to remove this thorn from his flesh. How did God respond? That it might depart from me, and he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So here Paul is, he's praying, he's asking and petitioning God to remove this from, his, from him. Um, many of us believe that it is his eyesight was his thorn in the flesh. Um, but here, so Paul's not a, a, a beyond or above, he, he's not holier than thou to bring forth a personal prayer request in here. He's asking, God, take this away from me so that I can continue to serve you better. And the Lord showed him, I'm not going to, and you're still going to be, I'm still going to use you through all of this. So Paul wanted the Colossians to pray specifically in these verses here back in, in Colossians chapter 4 verses 3 and 4 that he would have evangelistic opportunities and that he would use them wisely right we can pray for opportunities to witness but we should also pray for the wisdom in those opportunities right we can have the opportunity show up and we can be completely in the flesh use our wisdom and our argumentation and our apologetics to try to argue somebody into believing in Christ, right? That's 
proverbially, okay, proverbially um, sticking your foot in the door of the conversation and not letting and not letting go, right? If we're trying to argue somebody to Christ, or somebody just wants to argue, it's not productive, right? It's not your persuasive techniques that are going to get somebody saved. It's not some special sales formula. No. What does it is the Word of God and His Holy Spirit working in them. What we need to do is make sure we know what the Word of God says and let it out, right? Share with them the Scripture, and God's Holy Spirit will do the work in their heart. So that's what Paul is asking for here. He's asking, you know, I'm even while I'm incarcerated here, I want to have opportunities to serve the Lord. Don't let me mess them up and try to be in the flesh and do something without wisdom, without God's wisdom, without his scripture. Let, let me let God work through me. Get me out of the way. <clears throat> so Paul had been radically changed on the road to Damascus, and that's without doubt. If you read the account in Acts chapter 9, it's dramatic, right? Each one of us here who knows Jesus Christ as Savior has had the same radical transformation. Now, we may not have been on walking on the road to Damascus and seen a bright light and heard audibly the word of the Lord, of the Lord speaking to us. But we each that knows Jesus Christ as Savior have had that radical transformation in our hearts. We've been transformed from death unto life. Amen. And most likely it wasn't the same experience, right, that Paul had, but certainly the same method, right? By grace, through faith, on Jesus' deity, his death, burial, and resurrection, and the promise of eternal life, right? Our faith is on Jesus Christ, is in Jesus Christ. He gives us his righteousness, takes our sin from us, and that radical transformation occurs just like it did for the Apostle Paul. That each one of us that knows Jesus as Savior, we've had that same experience. Now the verse here in um, verse 4, Colossians chapter 4, that I may make it manifest. What is this it? Well, we go back to the... The it being here is the mystery of Christ. What is the mystery of Christ? So this word... Um, well, what I can say here is this word's found 27 times in the New Testament, translated mystery or mysteries. But this mystery, now consider that Colossians has been talking about, um, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he's been, he's been addressing philosophies and Gnostics and all of this other mysticism type sort of things. This mystery of Christ is not something Gnostic. It's not hidden in the Gnostic sense. After all, Gnostic, the Gnostic elect are the insiders, if we recall back to some of those those teachings here, the keepers of knowledge, and then you have another group, or two, two groups, the elect, those that have the knowledge, or the keepers of the knowledge, and the hearers, they're the ones that are trying to get into the in club, right? You got the, you got the, this, this elite club over here called the elect, they know everything, but they're not gonna let you in, 
you got to know all this this little secret knowledge. It's not the same. The mystery of Christ is not the same. In the case of the Gnostics, they are people, right, that are holding this so-called knowledge. They're not God. Who say, and these people say they have special knowledge of the divine and are withholding that knowledge from others for what purpose? Why are they withholding this knowledge? Well, I believe it's for power and control. They're trying to control the lives of these hearers to make them serve them uh, and do other things for them. So the Greek word here, we already talked about that 27 times found in the New Testament. But in Deuteronomy 29, 29, we find out about the secret things. Does God have things that we don't know? And that's the obvious answer is yes. Many things that we don't know. We're not going to know them all now. And on, on the other side of eternity, when we're in glory, are we going to know them then? I can't tell you. I don't know. But God is an infinite God. And we're a creation. So I would, I would lean on the side of saying, no, we're not going to know everything that God knows in eternity. We'll know what we're supposed to know. And we can rest in that and we'll be in the presence of the Lord. So that's going to be the best part. So Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which were revealed belong unto us and our children forever. So there are secret things and they belong to the Lord but there are things that have been revealed. Now, is the mystery of Christ, is that something that's been revealed? Now it has been, yes, obviously. So the mystery of Christ, however, is knowledge that God possesses and has made known, albeit in veiled form, since the beginning, right? This has not been something that's completely hidden and separated from mankind until Jesus pops on the scene. No. Since the beginning, that God himself were to redeem the world from, from sin and death, the mystery of Christ. Where do we find the first instance of this veiled mystery? Genesis 3.15, And I, the Lord speaking, will put enmity between thee, being the serpent, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And then we find, too, also in more than 300 Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah, which could only have been fulfilled by Jesus of Nazareth. And here we understand that the word, the Greek word uh, translated Christ is the same word referred to as Messiah in Hebrew. <clears throat> so this mystery, while not clearly manifested from the beginning has been veiled types of Christ are seen throughout the Old Testament prophecies of his coming yes are there if you we can look back in in having the the knowledge of the New Testament and all the rest there that we can look back on the Old Testament and see these things clearly there's no there's no real fault necessarily in saying are you going to be able to see the Messiah uh, going forward. It, it was veiled. It was hidden. It wasn't clearly spelled out. However, if you line up all the prophecies, and even at that time, they can only point to one person, even at that time. 
So the commentator Gill summarizes the mystery of Christ as the gospel of which Christ is the author, preacher, sum, and substance, the whole of which is a mystery, the wisdom of God in a mystery. All the doctrines of it are mysteries, and particularly those, and which are here most especially designed, which regard the persons, offices, and grace of Christ as the mystery of his divine and eternal sonship. This wasn't clearly revealed in the Old Testament. Of his incarnation, of the union of the two natures, being the, na- the human nature and the, and the divine nature, in his person of redemption by his blood, justification by his righteousness, and satisfaction by his sacrifice, things dear to the apostle and which his soul was full of, and he wanted to speak out and therefore desires prayer to be made for him that a door might be opened and a way made for his speaking these things with freedom. So there's mysteries here, and the mystery, the primary mystery is the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came, died on the cross, and rose again, offers forgiveness of sins to the world freely to those who call upon him. All right, so question number 10 in your books. Why are most prayer requests at a typical prayer meeting about physical needs instead of spiritual needs? Fitting that tonight is our Wednesday night prayer meeting. We find that question from the book is that it wonders why our, our prayer requests are about physical needs instead of spiritual needs. Anybody have a thought on that? So maybe we all have a desire to avoid or escape troubling circumstances, right? Our flesh is what's, it's there. It's something that has to be suppressed. Our, our urges to do things, to not do things. Um, and we know that God can deliver us from physical problems if he chooses to, right? So we, we as we've taught a couple weeks ago, that our first course of action should be prayer, Right? Not to, well, after all, all we can do now is pray, is the wrong attitude to take toward prayer. That's the first thing that we do, is we go to God in prayer and trust that he will work out the situation. Well, question number 11 then. What might be the effects of believers praying less for deliverance from trials and more for the following three requests? The book lists them out as, for a measure of God's strength to endure their trials... What if we spent more time praying for God to, to uh, strengthen us through our trials? Or what if we spent more time praying for God to be glorified through their trials? Or praying for unbelievers to come to know God through a believer's testimony in that trial as God leads you through it? Maybe, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a health trial. I think that's something that we've seen in our church here recently is those that have health struggles, that God is able to work and use doctors and use the prayer and, and use miracles too. And, and, and God is able to use all of these things to see his purposes accomplished. Sometimes our will lines up with his for what we want and we desire everybody to, to be fully healthy all the time. And God sometimes delivers there. And sometimes God doesn't. 
but God's will is being done in those purposes. And that's what we have to trust in, is that we may, we may not be able to see what's happening, where this is all leading. Uh, we, we could say, uh, temporarily, we could, we could look at our election situation here. It's still undecided. We don't know where God's going to lead and how God is going to work through this situation. But we know in the end that his will will be done, that uh, while we can't see the purposes now, we can trust in him fully to meet our needs and, um, you know, honestly, to not have worry, not to worry about what tomorrow will bring. So if, if believers were praying less for deliverance from trials and more for God's strength to endure those trials, for him to be glorified through those trials, and for unbelievers to come to know God through the believers going through these trials. The believers would undoubtedly benefit more spiritually from prayers than focused on their, that are focused on their spiritual lives instead of just their physical. You know, that's something to con- really consider there, too. Am I praying for some physical need? We all have physical needs, but I think more importantly, are we right with God? Are, are we right spiritually with God? That, I think, is the important thing, to, to make sure that you're right with God. And, and if, you're, if you're right with God, he's going to meet your needs. He's going to use... He's going to use. He's going to use other believers. He's going to use the world around you to meet your needs, and from that you won't have to worry. So, are we right with God first? So, the primary takeaway from this lesson is that our prayers for missionaries and for others should be specific. Right? The Apostle Paul's example here is he's praying specifically and asking for opportunities to witness, for opportun- and and to. Um, make sure that he's, he's witnessing of Christ to people is what he's looking for. They should be specific, not general or just generic prayers. We're not just praying that all of Rome would get saved. That wasn't Paul's prayer. We're not praying that all of Corvallis would get saved. We pray specifically for people that we meet, for places that we know we're going to go to witness to people, uh, opportunities in our daily lives. Lord, would you put somebody in front of my path today? that I can talk to about Jesus. Specific instances and for specific people. So we get that example from the Apostle Paul's specific request that he had made here in these verses 3 and 4. So the experience of being imprisoned for preaching Christ had not dulled Paul's zeal for evangelism, right? He got got stuffed in jail and like, oh, oh, woe is me, now it's all done. Guess I got to stop now. That's not what we see, right? We see that his zeal was not dulled in witnessing for Christ. He could have given up, right? That's an option. He can give up. But instead, his situation seemed to invigorate Paul to press on for Christ. Right? One door closed over here. There's another one over here that I can walk through and and continue on for Christ. The final door of of death's door has not closed yet for the Apostle Paul. He wanted to keep pressing on for the cause of Christ. In the book of Romans, Paul wrote in Romans 1.15, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. When he wrote that, he was ready. 
Did he know that God was going to use him in the circumstances that he did? He's like, he's ready. I'm going to come. I'm going to preach the gospel to you guys at Rome. Ready to go. And he's there, but not under his terms. He's there under someone else's terms now. He's in bondage. But he's there. And he's still ready to preach the gospel. He could have not known then that he would preach the gospel in Rome, but under but while under house arrest. And you know, God's ways may lead us too down unexpected paths to, uh, to opportunities for witnessing. Maybe you're late one day and you, you end up in a situation you might not have otherwise been in to be able to, to meet somebody and witness to them. God's, God's in those things and, and is able to use them. So question number 12, instead of praying for people to get saved, what might be a more appropriate and effective prayer request regarding the lost? And I think uh, it refers to Matthew 9, 36 through 38, and also our verse here, Colossians 4, 4. So Matthew 9, chapter 9, verse 36 and actually, I'll have some volunteers go to another passage because the next question here. We have Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. Volunteer pastor. And then Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Brother Austin. Okay, so question number 12. Instead of praying for people to get saved, what might be a more appropriate and effective prayer request regarding the lost? Matthew 9, 36 through 38 reads... But when I saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Or, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. In Colossians 4.4, 4, a verse that we're talking about tonight, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So instead of praying for people to get saved, what might be a, a more effective prayer request, more specific prayer request? Opportunities to, Opportunities to witness, right? And these verses here too are are the first thing that I thought of too with these verses too is it's not a it's not a passive thing that you're doing. You're actively looking out there. Uh, we have a song that for the for the uh, in our in our, in our hymnal it says go out and bring them in. Bring I mean you want to go out and find people. They're not just going to come necessarily now. Sometimes they might, but not necessarily come and knock on your door and ask you how to get saved. You're going to have to go out and seek them. Go out and seek the lost. Question number thirteen. And uh, pastor, would you read Romans ten verses fourteen and fifteen? How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Brother Austin. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. All right, so considering these verses from Romans and the end of Matthew, 
What do you learn about God's expectation of you from these passages? Brother Austin? His plan is to use Right, his plan is to use people and take his word, take this gospel message to the world. Right, we're not left here. We're not saved and then yanked out of here right away. No, we're left here as God's instruments to witness of him as living testimonies of, of, his, of his goodness and his, and his change in our lives and to be active witnesses, importantly. So not, not just this passive witness. We all have a passive witness in our actions that we have and interactions with the world around us, but then that only goes so far, right? I think Brother Dennis has had people talk to him. I think we've all, if you think about it, if someone has known you in the life before you were saved, will come and ask you, what's different about you? And they'll see something different. Or if they don't, they should. Maybe you've got to pray about that. But don't be satisfied with that passive witness alone. These verses encourage us to go out and be active witnesses. Maybe difficult in these days, but there's still a way to do it. As Paul, I mean, we may be burdened by the, the bondage of COVID and restrictions on things, but you know, the Apostle Paul was bound in chain or bound in under house arrest, whether it be in chains or not, but still found a way to continue to witness. So Paul wanted to make the best of each evangelistic opportunity by communicating the gospel clearly and faithfully, and that's what his specific prayer request was. He realized he was God's witness at that particular place in that time to that group of people. We should realize we're that witness of God's greatness and God's gospel to this town, to our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, and those that we meet on a daily basis. Paul didn't want to miss that opportunity, neither should we. And he asked people to pray for him specifically in that regard. We should pray for each other in regard of witnessing and evangelism and the rest. Let's not miss the opportunity to pray for others and witness the truth of the gospel. Right? We have a limited amount of time here on this earth. Let's make the best of it. Live for God now. That's, that's the important thing. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening, for this study. Lord, for the example of the Apostle Paul and, and his specific prayer requests that we've looked at tonight. Lord, help us to be more focused in our prayer life, to be specifically petitioning you and thanking you for things that you've done. Lord, in our prayer life as well, give us opportunities to witness here, even in these days of, of uh, restrictions and meetings and all the rest. Lord, that there are still people out there, regardless of the situation of the world, that need to be saved. Help us and give us opportunities. Place people in our past, on, in our days, to witness to, have that answer ready for them. Have, have the gospel message ready for them when you give us those opportunities. Pray that you would... Um, just use this word and continue to grow us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.